Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, March the 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2020. And we're taking a look at a reading for the fifth Sunday in Lent. And the text we want to take a look at is Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? How is a person in Christ Jesus? And what does it mean that there is now no condemnation? The word in the Greek, condemnation, actually means a damnatory sentence. So it's talking about that those who are in Christ Jesus really do not have hell as their home. Wow. This follows Romans chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul makes a big distinction between his old Adam and his new man. In verse 20 says, If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And therefore, he finds a law, verse 21, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Now, in my inward being, he says, verse 22, I delight in the law of God, but there's another members waging war against the law of my mind and made me making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members well, what's the law of sin we're going to examine that in a few moments wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death and then the last verse in chapter 7 be before chapter 8, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. What is he talking about? What is the law of God with his mind in comparison to the flesh serving the law of sin. He begins chapter 8, verse 1. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So during this fifth Sunday in Lent sermon, one would really need to help people understand what it means to be in Christ Jesus. He returns to this law and death kind of thing in Romans 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Many a time we talk about how the Bible uses the same word with different meanings. Uh, For example, the word law of the spirit makes me free 
from the law of sin and death. The word law is the same, nomos. Sometimes it can mean the Ten Commandments. Sometimes it can mean the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law. Sometimes it refers to the first use of the law the government uses. The second use, the church uses to accuse people of their sin. And the third use, where you're informed as to what is the will of God for your life. But in this case, the word law of the spirit of life, in contrast to the law of sin and death, would really best be understood as a principle, like the law of gravity. It's a principle that if you drop something, it will fall to the ground. So what's the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that makes you free from the law of sin and death? Well, it's better to understand the second first. The law of sin and death is the principle that when you sin, death should be the result. And that death, according to verse 1, is eternal condemnation. That's the principle of sin and death. How is that different from the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? All you need to do is remember the, the word spirit there is capitalized in the English, referring to the Holy Spirit. When did you receive the spirit of life? You received it either at your baptism or you have received it when you came to faith by hearing the word of God. Remember, in Acts chapter 2, Peter says the way that a person is saved is to be baptized by God, and they get two gifts, the gift of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you have the Holy Spirit within you, your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? That's how you are in Christ, by having the Holy Spirit in you. And that means that you believe the promises of the gospel. So you're saved from condemnation through faith believing the promises of the gospel. And that's the law of the spirit of life. He that believes in me shall be saved. Now, how is that possible? Weren't we able, according to the law, to save ourselves? Listen to verse 3, Romans 8. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Well, we understand that. Just go back to chapter 7. And Paul has this struggle within himself between the Holy Spirit and his flesh. His flesh always wanting to do those things that he knows are wrong. So God now does what we could not do by obedience to the law because we're weakened by our sinful flesh. Now, how did God do that? Verse 3 continues, 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Now, that's very, very important to understand because what is meant here is sin was condemned because Jesus paid the price for our sin. In other words, he took us away from the law that says, once you sin, you will die eternally. In essence, when Adam and Eve sinned, they did die. They hid themselves from God. They were like the walking dead. So God gave them a promise about a savior to come through the seed of Eve. They believed that, and that's why they were saved. Now, they thought, or Mary did, uh, sorry, Eve did, that Cain was the first Messiah when he was actually the first murderer, and it wasn't until the time of Mary that that happened. So, how did Jesus, while dying on the cross, fulfill the law for us? In order, verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, there's another word uh, in the Greek that has different meanings depending on what you're looking at. What is the context? For instance, in Romans 7, 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now, living in the flesh in Romans 7, 5 simply refers to the fact that we were human beings, that we were living, therefore, in the flesh. Whereas sometimes the flesh refers to our actual life of sin. Example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul accused people, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? That means you're behaving according to your sinful nature. This is where we get the idea of the old man and the new man in Christ. They are different. Then there's no doubt that we need to understand this difference in flesh. In other words, in Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul makes a very important point. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, that occurred in baptism. Remember? In baptism, you were put on the cross, you were buried with Christ, and you were raised from the dead in giving yourself new life through faith in Jesus Christ. 
He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that answers our question is, how do you have Jesus Christ in you through baptism? Then he continues. This is still Galatians 2 verse 20. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he says, yes, the life I now live in the flesh, and that's just referring to being a human being. I live by faith in the Son of God. You probably can't find a better verse of what Paul is talking about in Romans 8. Living in the flesh means you live by faith in the Son of God. Very, very important verse to kind of keep in mind. So we continue getting back to Romans chapter seven, uh, chapter eight, where Paul is making some wonderful points about how we are saved. So we're down to verse four, that we are lived not according to the flesh, that's the sinful part of us, but according to the spirit, therefore, Here's the difference between living according to the flesh and living according to the spirit. We find that in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. What's he talking about? Well, setting your mind on the things of the flesh means you're more temporal-oriented. You really have as your God maybe your possessions, your reputation, your looks, your house, your home, your children. But keeping your mind on the things of the Spirit means you're thinking about Jesus. And the good works you do are considered fruit of the Holy Spirit as they're motivated by the Spirit. Verse 6, Romans 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now we're beginning to understand how the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's really, really important, that the two are really quite different. What does it mean to set your mind on the flesh is to have sinful thoughts, sinful actions, sinful words. But to set your mind on the spirit means to love the will of God and be repentant of your sins. It doesn't mean that you stop from sinning. That's impossible. But the way to life is through repentance, which is contrition over 
your sin. Verse 7 kind of explains it even more. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. In other words, the old Adam within us, we have no desire to submit to the law of God. The new man does desire to submit to the law of God. And that word submit, or in the King James, it is not subject to the law of God, is another way of saying it, is that you're always taking what is God's will? You know what it is, and therefore when you don't do it, you submit to the gospel by repenting of your sins and asking for forgiveness. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, it doesn't really matter what good work you do. You may be helping during the virus in taking food to people or driving them to doctors or whatever. But if you are not in Christ, you are always doing it out of self-interest to make yourself look good, to make yourself feel better. But doing it in Christ means you're watching the second table of the law, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're in the flesh, that means without faith in Jesus Christ, nothing you do pleases God. Verse 9. You, however, referring to the Christians, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So here we have another understanding, that the Spirit of Christ, which you received in baptism is how you are regarded as a person who is not condemned. Having the Spirit of Christ simply means having faith in Jesus Christ. Very, very important point. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, which he is in baptism, although the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. What, what righteousness? If you can't obey the law of God, how can you be righteous in God's sight? The answer is very clear. You have received the righteousness of Christ. Jesus has two natures. He has three offices, but he also has two obediences. The one obedience is his passive obedience, by which he went the way of the cross, died on that cross, and had your sins forgiven. 
The other obedience is his active obedience, where he fulfilled God's will perfectly while he was on earth, and then he transferred that righteousness over to you. In baptism, we often talk about the glorious exchange where you give Jesus your sins, which he paid for, and he gives you his righteousness. You're probably more familiar with the robe of righteousness spoken about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that is a robe that we have received from Jesus Christ. So the concluding verse of the text is Romans 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and that has to be the Holy Spirit, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. And how does the Spirit dwell in you? Through baptism. Because Peter makes it very clear. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. So we get back to the big Reformation principles, the onlys, saved only by grace, saved only through faith, saved only by Jesus Christ. And how do we know this? What is the evidence for all of this? Only the scriptures. That when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with the two, to understand how their beloved, wonderful friend died on a cross, he used the Bible to explain it. He didn't use reason because it's unreasonable. He used scriptural verses. And therefore, Romans 8 is a wonderful passage for those individuals who wonder, how am I truly saved? What brings to salvation? That's really, really important. And once you see this distinction between law and gospel, then you begin to find it everywhere in Holy Scriptures. In every book of the Bible, you find it. First Peter 2, verse 2. It says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. And what's that pure spiritual milk? It's one of the onlys, namely the scriptures. As you devote yourself to reading the scriptures, attending worship when possible, or listening to worship services during this time of the virus, then 
you do grow in the faith. And that growth in the faith is a way in which the Holy Spirit works in you. And therefore, what we have here in Romans 8 is a wonderful, wonderful passage to be used in helping people come to a proper understanding of salvation. Romans 8, 1 to 11. But it's also needed to be understood in light of Romans chapter 7, where Paul makes it very clear. The things that I want to do, I'm unable to do. And the things that I always want to stop from doing, boy, I have a hard problem in not doing them. So there you hear about the distinction between the old Adam and the new man. And therefore, it's really a wonderful passage. Romans chapter 8, 1 to 11 is great to look at in sharing with others the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the next Law and Gospel, we'll be talking about the hymn selected for that day, My Song is Love Unknown with Mark Smith. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.